You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. One through eleven, which you can find on page four fifty-seven of your Black Pew Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel and you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued and you they trusted and were not put to shame but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people all who see me mock me they make their mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the Lord let him deliver him Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. The word of the Lord. All rise. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. You're reading from John 19, verses 1 through 37, found on page 905. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given 
you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in the Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king, they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. These things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his broke bones were broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. The gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Good evening. This Good Friday, I am grateful to be here with you preaching from John 19, where we are going to consider what exactly was finished this day. But first, will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I have a tattoo on the top of my foot. Little ones will often see it and ask, why did I write on my foot? Or why don't I use enough soap in the shower to get it off? It almost looks like an English word. It's actually a Greek word, tetelestai. I got the tattoo because I loved the meaning of the word and I wanted my life to be bound up in the truth of this word and that each step I take would be guided by my commitment to the finality of this word. And so I love when people ask me about what the tattoo means, tetelestai. It's actually Jesus' last words on the cross. It is finished. And that is what we remember this Good Friday. Have you wondered why is it that the church calls this a Good Friday? Because this is historically when the day, the day when the church marks the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And we aren't actually celebrating something so horrible as a tortured death of an innocent man or of a father sending his own beloved son to die, but rather we are marking what was finished by that death on the cross. And so as you consider what was finished, we're looking to John's gospel here. And there are many things that we could press into. There is a lot in this passage. And we might dwell on how John is showing how Jesus fulfills or finishes the prophecies of scripture. We might dwell on how John shows Jesus creating or bringing about a new family in God. But tonight, I want to consider together with you how John is showing that Jesus, by his death on the cross, is finishing his earthly mission to deal away with our sin. So you would recall that in the events leading up to this moment in John, Jesus has already been wrongfully arrested and accused. His closest friends have deserted him or betrayed him, most famously Peter, one of his dearest disciples, has even denied knowing Jesus. And now our passage here shows Jesus standing trial before Pilate. Pilate was a governor of the region. He was a representative of the highest secular authority in the land, the Roman Empire. And Jesus had been sent to Pilate by the Jewish high priest Caiaphas amongst the other priests. This is the highest religious authority in the nation of Israel. And the Jews have no interest in mercy here. They have determined to crucify this innocent man, Jesus. When Pilate insists that he sees no guilt in him, the Jews try a couple different tactics just to get Jesus condemned. If you see in verse seven, they claim Jewish, Excuse me, they claim Jesus broke Jewish law by making himself the son of God. But Pilate still wanted to release Jesus, so they instead claim Jesus is a threat to Roman law. 
You see how in verse 12, the Jews threatened Pilate's place or status of power by suggesting he is not considered Caesar's friend if he does not condemn Jesus. And in verse 15, the chief priests claim that they have no king but Caesar. This is a bitter irony here that these Jewish religious leaders who had the task of using their authority to guard and keep the faith, who are charged with the responsibility to discern God's will for their people, they are now the ones committing the very crime they accused Jesus of, blasphemy. Because by saying there's no king but Caesar, they are pledging allegiance to a man, this emperor Caesar, who himself demanded others revere him as divine, as a son of the gods. And so these religious leaders have completely missed the signs around and among Jesus and his work that reveal him as God's promised help. And consider Pilate. Pilate is willing to be cruel to achieve the end he wants, which is mostly to protect himself. He is too cowardly to stand for justice. In verse one, we see how Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged without actually believing that he's guilty. And in verse six, Pilate tells the Jews to crucify Jesus themselves. He knows this isn't actually possible. They cannot carry out the sentence. But Pilate is essentially making it known that he would rather not deal with this terrible inconvenience. He'd willingly abdicate his responsibility to preside as a just judge here. In verse 13, after the Jewish leaders threaten his status before Caesar, Pilate quickly caves into his desire to protect himself in his position of power and hands over an innocent man to death. The theologian Leslie Newbigin writes of this scene, thus with an appalling abruptness, the trial ends. The central faith by which Israel lives, that Yahweh alone is Lord, has been publicly denied by the spokesperson of that nation. And the central purpose for which the political order exists, namely to defend the good and punish the evildoer, has been publicly abandoned by the representative of the imperial power. The claims of religion and of statecraft to authority over human affairs has been unmasked. The supposed powers have been disarmed. You see, Newbigin is naming how utterly from the individual to any of these systems, whether it was religious or political, they have failed. They are overcome in sin. They cannot do what they were meant to do. Individual followers failed Jesus. The religious system failed Jesus. The state authorities and law enforcement system failed Jesus. They were all done in. They were finished off by fear, by self-interest, by jealousy, by sin. They participated in sending an innocent man to his death. Is our day so different from that one? Friends, many of us know what it is to want to trust some sort of religious authority or religious framework to lead us in the way we should go. Whether you are a Christian or not, you know what it is to hope that your allegiance to a religious way of life will keep you safe. And many of us know what it is to bear profound disappointment when that system gives way and fails us. And we also know what it is to want 
trustworthy political leaders to build a life for us, for all of us, that is good. And we struggle to know how to choose who should hold power. We want to trust that our state authorities will enact justice. And we know the profound disillusionment when that system only seems to protect itself and fails us. And not least of all, we know what it is for we ourselves to fail, to fail others. I know what it is like to be finished off in my own sin, my own shortcomings, my own self-interest. You see, it is the Christian conviction that no matter the best of individual intentions, no matter the scope of societal advancements, humanity will eventually show the cracks where darkness and corruption and sin have broken through. And so John is showing us here that every individual and every system in place has failed. And here, Jesus hangs in the middle of it all, bloodied and beaten and humiliated, bearing up the weight of his earthly mission. For when Jesus utters, it is finished, He is not only remarking on the failures of these people and these systems in their sin, but rather what his work was and is to do to bring deliverance from that failing and that sin. Consider the very last action that he takes before he dies. He says the words, I thirst and drinks a bitter wine. You see, we remember this Jesus, this was the same one who prayed in Gethsemane just a few pages before in our Bibles, just a few hours before in this week. Jesus prays that this cup would pass from him, this bitter drink of taking on the sin of the world and becoming sin on our own behalf. And this is the same man that prays that it if his his father's will, that he would drink every last drop. And so in this, in this passage where we see Jesus saying, I thirst, remember that this is the same God-made man who controls the water and the waves, who was present at the making of the world when the waters were separated from the dry land. This is the same God-made man who named his ability to provide a living water that would allow people to thirst no more. So when Jesus says, I am thirsty, I thirst. Yes, there is the terrible physical thirst of a man being killed on a cross. But superseding that, laying over top of that, is an obedient son taking up the cup his father has given him and drinking it to the very bottom for his love of the father and for his love for you and for me. You know what else is finished? The need to pretend that we can do the work ourselves. What is finished, we can stop pretending that we can repay every wrong we have committed, that we can bear the weight of making up for our shortcomings. We are finished with having to try to control our own behavior and the behavior of all others around us in order to try to guarantee 
our own safety. In just a moment, Dan is going to come and explain this opportunity to reverence this cross, to come before this wooden cross and have a moment there to acknowledge what Jesus has finished for you. And if you do not know Jesus, I'd invite you to watch whether you come up yourselves as you are welcome to or whether you remain in your seat. I would like you to watch as each man and woman an even little child approaches the cross, whether they bow, whether they touch the cross, whether they kiss it. Because the family of God begins here at the foot of the cross, where we know the work Christ has finished for us, and where we recognize that we can be finished with living as if we had to save ourselves. Because when Christ utters the words, it is finished. He invites all of us to live into that truth, that his mission on this earth of delivering us from our sins, it has been accomplished. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.